Greetings all. Welcome back to another episode of the Captimizer podcast. I have Chief of Police Steve Petrilli from Normal, Illinois. Normal is in uh, right down right there in central Illinois. And I'm sure there are a few jokes there, right? Being named Normal, Illinois. But welcome to the show, Steve. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Yeah, I've never heard those jokes before. <laughs> well, I won't make any bad ones now. <laughs> even though I've already inferred a bad joke. So I'm off to a bad start. But hey, I really appreciate you spending some of your valuable time with us. Uh, I'm excited to get you on the show. We met through a mutual friend and some work that you're doing in the health and wellness space. And I love to talk about health and wellness. So if you don't mind, maybe give us a give the audience a, an introduction to who you are and what you're up to. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Pat. Um, so my name is Steve Petrelli. Uh, currently, uh, law enforcement officer have been so for 25 years. I've been the chief of police now for just over a year. Heck, I'm on about month 15 of that stint, but been with the same agency, normal PD, for 25 years. Uh, during my career, just like many other people, I've had a lot of different experiences. Uh, the kind of the typical cop experiences, right? Of I've been an FTO, I've been a SWAT guy, been a narcotics guy, been a canine guy. Um, you know the typical. You know, I moved around the department and took advantage of a lot of the opportunities that uh, that were in front of me, and that ultimately led me to leadership track and kind of worked my way up to the agency. Uh, now into that position, the chief of police. So, uh, like I said, currently 25 years in. Um, you know, still enjoying it, uh, still loving the profession, and I've also kind of taken some of my my passion and my interest outside of law enforcement, which is more in the fitness, nutrition, kind of wellness aspect that we'll, I'm sure we'll get into and really try to, to bring a culture, a culture shift, a culture change, not only to my agency, but to the profession as a whole uh, with a lot of work that I'm doing, um, not only at my own PD, but uh, in, in some teaching and consulting I'm doing across the country. Well, that's awesome. Um, you know, health and wellness is, it's such a, a big topic and we look at it from a lot of different perspectives uh, in in the policing world, health and wellness and officer safety and wellness, it all kinds of get it gets lumped into like this one big like blob. And I think oftentimes people are a little confused about what it even means. And I I, I always thought it was interesting back in in the 2014-15 timeframe when we had the 21st century policing initiative launched. One of the byproducts of that was the 21st century policing report that was that was completed. Officer health and wellness was identified as one of the six pillars for that needed improvement and investment in policing. And at the time, there was a big push there on the emotional and mental wellness side of things, which I think is important. But you know, one of my frustrations that that I expressed at the time was there's not a lot of focus on physical well-being and you can't detach the emotional and mental well-being from the physical part of well-being that they're all interconnected and they're all interrelated. So, you know, the work that you're doing, I think is, is awesome because it addresses both and it provides officers with an opportunity to really, you know, invest in their, in their whole self. So I guess, that's a big mouthful, but with that in mind, I mean, what what kind of led you to this this work? I mean, you, you have a background in athletics, and we talked a little bit about that. You know, being a being a Redbird at the Illinois at Illinois State. 
Um, what was your background in sports? So I, I played college baseball. Um, you know, I played uh, two years junior college uh, ball, and then I came up. Actually, didn't play at ISU. I played at Kentucky Wesleyan after I graduated ISU. I'd come to ISU with uh, full intention of playing, and and I was a pitcher and, and dealt with some injuries that I uh, wasn't able to overcome. I got that all figured out, and after I graduated, I had still had a year of eligibility, so I went down to Kentucky and, and played down there in Owensboro for a year. But yeah, to, to answer your question, athletics was a huge part of my upbringing. And, and as I got into the profession, you know, this is a, this is a job that if, if you're not careful, uh, it sneaks up on you pretty quick between the shift work, the stress, the things that happen that you start to see physical changes. Um, and I saw them myself, right. I'm, I, I don't speak about anything that I haven't experienced. So I, I experienced the, the blood pressure changes. I experienced the weight gain. I started experiencing uh, probably, um, you know, habits that weren't favorable to my health and, and all of a sudden you're 10 years in right to the, to this uh, job and you, and you're, you, you kind of look at yourself and go, wow, what, what's happened. Right. So I kind of found myself in that position. I leaned back on, on my interest in athletics and I've always been an active guy and, and always kind of worked out and taken my health seriously, but I didn't see the subtle changes that were happening to me that I, that I really do attribute a lot to uh, just some of the, the culture of the profession and the things that we go through with stress and shift work and, and the like. So, um, really that kind of background. And then some of the, some of the things that I was seeing in the culture of the profession is really what led me, uh, to take on, uh, some of the things that I'm doing now. Well, on the baseball side of things, I, I had to ask, right. Because, um, years ago when I was over in, in the Bloomington normal area, I have a brother and sister-in-law lived over there and I got to visit the corn crib. <laughs> Is the corn crib still there? Yeah, man. That's a great facility. Actually, uh, Heartland Community College, their baseball team, that's their home field. That, that's a nice little facility. It's fantastic. And that's the Heartland Community College is where I went. It was, I was there for a BGA course on, uh, it was a tactical, uh, or no, that was the, it was narcotics, uh, supervision course. Yeah. When you're, when you're supervising a narcotics task force, all the things that you, that you need to know that you probably don't know are the things that will get you sued, but it was a beautiful facility. And I just love the name corn crib. So I had to ask, did you get a chance to pitch in the corn crib? <laughs> but I guess I, not. Well, I have, and honestly, a better story with that. Are you a Cub or Cardinal fan? I'm a Cubs fan. Okay, me too. So there was a, and I'll make this story quick, but there was a an all-star, what was a legends, legends game that they had up at the corn crib. And they invited me as a, at the time I was assistant chief to come up and play. They knew I had a background in baseball. So I'm playing with all these guys that the Kyle Farnsworth, the Ray Lankfords, Aramis Ramirez, like all these guys that I had grew up watching. And it just so happens I end up in a position that I come up with the bases loaded hit a grand slam out of the corn crib <laughs> as a, and as I'm rounding the bases, I'm, I've got all these guys, you know, Ray Lankford was playing first base, high five me. I've got uh, Kyle Farnsworth was on base when I hit it. Um, it's softball, man, but I'm going to say that that that's probably my highlight at the corn crib was that. So <laughs> that's awesome. That's a, well, you did, did you challenge Kyle Farnsworth to a fight? No, man, I've seen him brawl a little bit, so I, I didn't want to get on his bad side. But yeah, Jose Canseco, like there was a whole bunch of folks that were um, that they had in for this Legends game, but the majority of them were Cubs and Cards, and, and so it was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, well, I don't want to get too uh, I don't want to get too far off track, but 
I, I remember that was the only time my wife would ever watch the Cubs game is if if Kyle Farnsworth was on the mound. It's <laughs> like he's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I digress. I probably shouldn't say things like that, but any case, so um you have this athletic background, you start to experience some of these things yourself. Um and I guess maybe what what was it that that you then took from from the personal experiences that you were having and and maybe thinking there's a there's a better way to do this there and if I'm ever do get into a position uh, where I have the ability to influence how we're going to shape our culture around health and wellness, um, how might I do it? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I got tired of feeling. Uh, the way that I was feeling, uh, just run down, uh, didn't have much energy. And I could just tell that, Hey, you know what? I'm, I just don't like how I'm feeling. And, and I, and I knew that a lot of it had to do with stress and sleep and some of the things that, that we tend to cope with. And that's when I, I pushed myself to get involved in athletics again, right? I was past my college years, but the way that I did that as I integrated myself as, as a CrossFit coach, I went back to, uh, to a certification. Uh, for, I had a local CrossFit gym. Uh, the owner knew that I was into athletics, was into in, to the law enforcement profession. He said, hey, you know, if you go get your L1, I'll put you on here as a coach and, and, and you can start coming here and doing that. And that was really my reintegration, if you will, back into um, what I consider to be athletics. I was missing that competitive kind of aspect of things and CrossFit gave me that. Um, so I went through the L1 um, and got that coached for about five years. I've been through the L2 seminars that led to some other certifications, CPPS, uh, been through power, power athlete methodology training, uh, lead Taft speed school, the, the CrossFit law enforcement application, um, that I did out in Fredericksburg, Virginia with Greg Onmanson and, and really just started developing kind of my niche for, okay, I want to get back involved in, and be, I want to start being an expert in, in movement, right? Cause I always kind of thought movement was was what led to fitness. Well, I, I was wrong there, but that was my mindset, right? Work hard. Right. And that, and that's what I talk to people about a lot, that we all chase these goals through the, the, the old mindset is always what? Eat less, work harder, right? And that's kind of people's way to fitness. Well, I started to learn how to, how to move my body efficiently, how to teach other people and coach other people, um, which then led into me, um, you know, making long range goals for myself, running marathons and doing triathlons and things like that kind of chasing fitness, but never really understanding why I wasn't meeting those goals. And I know I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but I'm going to wrap it up. No, it's a great tangent. Don't, don't slow down. <laughs> Keep going. So, so with that, you know, I, I was, I was setting these goals, you know, and, and trying to, to achieve fitness through the, through the lens of, you know, what kind of work harder and, and, and pay attention to nutrition, not really knowing what nutrition was. Well, the more that I got into this, the more I got, um, you know, you know how it is, the kind of the proximity principle. When you start getting involved in things, you get around people who are really good at those things and you start to learn. You start to learn a lot. So I, I picked up a lot on um, you know, the dynamics of movement, how to efficiently move your body through space. And that led to being around people who knew about nutrition and functional medicine and some of these things. And then I started getting introduced to, you know, things like, hey, how important sleep is. And no one had ever told me that. Hey, how important not having chronically high levels of cortisol is, and all these things started to come together to where now all of a sudden I saw, I could see the the big picture and I could see how the, the profession itself 
was impacting my health, not necessarily from the food that I was eating, not necessarily the lack of workouts or the, the, the duration or intensity of workouts. It really is a holistic approach, right? So knowing that um, when we put together, you know, a good, good movement patterns, we couple that with good nutrition, we prioritize sleep and we intentionally reduce stress. Um, boy, lots of good things can happen at that point. So over, over a period of time, I kind of started to put all these things together um, in a way in which I began to understand them. And then that allowed me to develop a curriculum that I could then, you know, take in front of other, you know, tens upon thousands of law enforcement officers at this point, uh, fire and, and military and, and, and educate them. Right. Cause when you're able to relay things from personal experiences, I think it's, it's a lot more impactful on the audience that you're trying to teach. Yeah. A lot, lot to digest there too. And I want to go back and, you know, when we, when we had our initial conversation a few weeks ago, I think we started to realize that we had a lot in common and sometimes you, it's, it's so funny you run in these circles for years and sometimes you feel like, man, why do I see, why does it seem like I'm on an Island? Like, like nobody else is paying attention. And then you realize there are other people that are paying attention and we, we just kind of tend to be in these small pockets, all kind of uh, reaching towards the same goals. But, you know, CrossFit is interesting. You know, there's a lot, it, it's a very controversial thing for some reason. And a lot of this just has to do, it's, it's very similar to what happens in policing, right? The popular media gets a hold of something, a narrative gets pushed out and people start to argue. And next thing you know, you know, you just, we're talking all kinds of silliness and, um, you know, CrossFit isn't for everybody. Uh, and I'll, I'll be the first to say that, but I, I certainly think that CrossFit is a really efficient and effective methodology to train police officers particularly if you're someone that's never really worked out, you've never really trained before. And, you know, I, you know, when I uh, used to run my CrossFit gym, I used to hear that all the time, right? People would come in and say, well, you know what, I want to get in a little bit better shape before I start coming here. And, you know, the, the counter argument to that and the counterpoint to that is, well, why? This is what we're here for. We're here to help you. And what I would always try to tell people is, what I would suggest to you is actually come here, commit to, to coming here for three to six months. And then if you don't feel like it's the right fit for you, then then go find something else to do. But what you're going to get in that three to six months is you're going to get uh, good coaching on proper movement mechanics. So that's that's what helps you prevent getting yourself injured early on. If you if you have a if you if you're in a good facility with good coaches. They're not just going to try to crush you and, and hurt you in the first workout. You know, you can do any workout and crush yourself, um, but they're going to teach you how to move. And then once you start to move well, then you start to see, okay, all right, I feel good. And now we can introduce things like nutrition and how that's impacting your performance. And that's ultimately where, I, where I'm kind of going with this, right? Is that CrossFit, I think, is really one of the first kind of uh, methodologies out there that, you know, on scale really talked about performance. What are you doing and how is it impacting your performance on a daily basis? Not, Hey, let's go exercise so I can step on a scale and it will tell me how much I weigh, but rather let's see how, how are you moving your body? How, how is this impacting your ability to navigate your day? How is it impacting your day to do your work, whatever it is that you do in life? So, um, have you, have you over the years, have you run into 
any of those, you know, the kind of the doubters or the people that are concerned, like uh, CrossFit causes injuries or things like that when you're, when you're looking to train, especially I guess in the policing population. Oh, hundred percent. You know, and I think a lot of that, like you said, it, the really, and I mean, that's the same with leadership, right? Like good coaches, you know, don't allow, you know, dysfunction to happen. That's the same thing in the leadership realm, right? Good leaders, they're the ones that are, you know, tamping stuff down and not allowing people to, to, to move outside of bounds. And, and they're, they're setting you up to succeed. A good coach and a good leader sets you up to succeed. And I think, you know, some of those concerns, like you said, probably more media and, and farce and bad coaching than actual reality. Cause, um, the CrossFit principles when taught appropriately, um, they teach, like you said, it, it's good body dynamics. It's good body movement. It's teaching you how to move effectively through space, um, in a way in which meets the athlete where they're at, at their current ability level. So, um, in that respect, yeah, I think a lot of that stuff is, has been a little bit blown out of proportion. All right. I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to ask you a question here. So, yeah. When I got when I got appointed to the chief's office, there was <laughs> it was, you know, a lot of people like, oh, my God, Flanley's, he's going to make us all eat, you know, zone nutrition and he's going to make us all do CrossFit. Um, and I never did do that. I did put a nonprofit CrossFit affiliate in our training center um, and I put it there because I wanted everybody to have an opportunity to have a place where they could go and, and work out whether they did the CrossFit or not was up to them. But I did host an L1 seminar and put uh, just over 20 of our personnel through the L1 seminar. And a lot of people thought, well, I was doing that just for the fitness. What I didn't tell people is that I wanted to expose our police officers to the L1 class, two-day course, because of all the training that I've done in, in my career, a lot of leadership training in law enforcement, all these other things. To me, to this day, the L1 seminar is still one of the best two days of training that I've ever been to. So I don't know. What's your opinion on on the L1 course? You know what? I thought it was fabulous. Um, as, as you know, a lot of folks that you run into in this industry have a background in exercise physiology or some type of bachelor degree and, you know, something exercise related, right? Most of the people that I have experienced that with, there's not a huge carryover to how to actually, um, you know, implement um, and scale and, and do certain things when it relates to movement patterns, right? And that's what was cool for me about CrossFit was that it, it exposed me to the six-year-old kid who's, just affect trying to learn how to effectively move his body through space and control it all the way to the 70 year old woman that, you know, there is some, some significant, um, you know, scaling that needs to happen there and teaching you how to work with all of those folks. So um, the L one does a, a fabulous job of combining a whole lot of information, a small window of time. But I think the big takeaway with the L one is that you have to have a mentor. When you come out of that, you have to have an ability to, um, have a mentor that allows you to get reps in that coaching cycle. Um, and that's really where the the rubber kind of meets the road. Cause then all that information from that, that two days, um, boy, it all starts to make sense when you get to apply it. Yeah. And that was, I, I still, to this day, I think back, cause I, I went to the first time I went to the L one was in 2008. I went over to rogue fitness and 
you know, for, and uh, I'll get off the CrossFit subject here in just a minute, folks, but I, I this is, a, this, I think is, is uh, pretty interesting. In, in those days, CrossFit was just kind of hitting mainstream. It had been around for a while, but it was really getting popular. The CrossFit games had kind of, uh, had just uh, closed again. The 2008 games had just closed. Josh Everett was one of the instructors that I had in my class, uh, a lot of the old school CrossFitters, um, John Gibson, um, Tony Budding, uh, Todd Widman. And they were all like, the thing that that really attracted me to this group was that they were extremely knowledgeable, incredibly professional, and just passionate to the core about what they were doing. And they made everybody in that class feel welcome. They were encouraging. They were positive, but they knew the subject material inside and out. And it was the, the perfect example of crawl, walk, run in in a, in just a small piece of information. So if it's the air squat, crawl, walk, run, and then, well, let's work on the back squat. So the methodology itself if you're a, if you're a trainer, if you're a law enforcement trainer, or really a trainer in anything, I, I thought it was so well organized. And I knew that our police officers would get the benefit of just having the structure of the class, learning what it takes to put on a good class, understanding material, being able to teach the material. Um, and, and, and I was looking really for the carryover there, but so uh, you uh, you went through the the John Wellborn the Power Athlete Program and uh, you know for those that don't know John Wellborn he is a uh, he played in the NFL he was an offensive lineman played in the NFL I think for ten years and uh, in two thousand and eight he competed in the CrossFit Games and um, if there's a there's a movie that's out there and the name of I have it down in my basement it's actually escaping me in the moment but watching that man do pull-ups at over like 300 pounds he was cycling a bunch of pull-ups i was like oh my gosh i would never want that guy to to like have to i would never want to see him out on the street and he's a reserve police officer too well and he played for the eagles offensive line 308 pounds of six percent body fat and I, I still say to this day some of my favorite crossfit programming ever was the crossfit football um that was his deal man and he did it for years and it's still some of the best linear progression, progressive overload, very intuitively put together programming that's out there. So any old school folks that want to go Google CrossFit football programming, it's good stuff. And if you're looking, I would say, look, if you're looking to get in shape or maybe you're someone that's on the fence about it, the CrossFit now offers that L1, they do it. They have an online version of it. It's one of the benefits of, of a COVID environment. And, and I, I would encourage people to, to, to look at it, um, you'll learn a lot from it. It'll, it'll make you uh, a, a more healthy human. And then the last thing I'm going to touch on, I've, I've used this analogy before. Um, one, you know, Greg Glassman, you know, in it later in his days with CrossFit was, you know, became a, you know, kind of a lightning rod for controversy. Uh, I, I think primarily just because he just wasn't afraid to say what was on his mind. And, you know, and for that, I really admired him for, you know, having the courage to say what needed to be said particularly when it came to CrossFit, his CrossFit health methodologies and, and trying to get the public to understand. And, and this, I think, because it pertains very, uh, 
directly to the policing population in that, you know, we're, we're just not a healthy population. And there's a lot of reasons for it. Uh, some of them are external. Some of their, some of them are, you know, just a lack of individual accountability and responsibility. But, the, you, but understanding there are sometimes there are interests at play that aren't aligned with our own personal health interests. And he, he just ne was never afraid to call it out. And, you know, one of the, one of my favorite sayings that he had was, you know, there, there's really a couple types of people that, that you get exposed to in a training environment. And I think this again applies to policing. He's like, if, if you have a person that wants to get in shape, they know they're unhealthy or they know they have work to do, you, they generally fall into a couple different camps. And one of those camps is, well, I'm going to exercise my way out of being in poor health. So I'm just going to hit the gym. I'm going to crush myself. If it takes a couple hours a day, then that's what I'm going to do because I want to drink my soda. I want to drink my alcohol. Um, I want to eat my fast food. I want to do the things that I want to do. So I'll just try to exercise my way out of it. And he said, so if you take that person and they're coming into your gym or your facility, he's like, um, you know, use the analogy, you put them in a rowboat and drop them in the middle of the lake and say, here's the dock that I want you to get to. And here's one oar. You're going to exercise your way out of this. Here's your oar and, and start rowing. Um, and then the other camp is, well, I don't like to exercise. I don't want to exercise. Exercise makes me feel uncomfortable. I shouldn't have to exercise. So I'll just be really careful about what I eat. And, um, you know, for that person, you know, it's, it's, here's the other, or, you know, you don't get the, the exercise or you get the nutrition or, uh, good luck. And so his, his point being, if you want synergy, if you want to get both oars in the water, then you really do have to, to focus on, on how you're moving. And then also what you're ingesting, what you're putting into your body and how that all works together. And I always thought that was a great analogy. No, I agree with that hundred percent. And, you know, I think Greg was ahead of his time and spot on about a lot of things. It's sometimes I think the delivery, um, on, on some things and, and he obviously is very opinionated and, um, you know, so be it, but, uh, yeah, a lot of good things can come from that. But what I want the audience to know too, like, don't turn it off. If you think all we're going to talk about is CrossFit, because I can, because <laughs> I can tell you that scares some, some folks. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I deal with so many cops and especially, uh, leaders or, or that 20 year patrolman that come to my class that I teach and, and what I try to do with them is let them know that, hey, there's some really easy things that you can be doing right now that will have profound effects on your health, right? And they they kind of look at me, they hear all this CrossFit talk about some of these certifications, and I tell them right off the bat, I don't talk, I'm not here to get you to do CrossFit. What I'm here to do is try to meet you to where you're at, give you some education, and then, hey, let's put together a very a plan that meets you where you're at, right? And that, And for a lot of folks, I tell them that's as simple as let's start walking, right? Let's talk about how food affects our body from a hormonal perspective. Let's start making a few tweaks here and there and really try to string together some wins in, in this uh, acronym that I call SPICOT, which is small, positive, incremental changes over time. So for, for most people, um, it doesn't have to be, you know, slugging it out in a CrossFit gym and, and doing those types of things. It can be, you know, really just some mindful practices that involve things that, uh, you know, they don't have to be ultra difficult, but you can definitely scale that um, you know, you can scale that based on what your goals are, but realize that, uh, you know, we're in a profession that 
like I tell everybody, if we send people to the academy, they come out the healthiest versions of themselves, right? The generally emotionally and physically, probably the strongest versions of themselves. We subject them to 20, 30 years of trauma in this profession. And a lot of them walk into retirement with a myriad of health conditions. Um, something's got to change, right? So there's got to be a point in which we we intervene in that whole cycle and start doing some mindful practices that can involve a lot of things. But yeah, exercise, nutrition, sleep. Yeah, we need to do them. And, but there's ways in which I think we can make that accessible to everybody. I love that. I love that acronym, SPICOT. Is that how you say it? S-P-I-C-O-T. Small, positive, incremental change over time. Um, so I was, I was actually, I was on Twitter yesterday and somebody posted this, uh, a question designed around, you know, to create a conversation about uh, what are the most important things that you can do to change your health and wellness. So the, the question was, what are the, for someone that's, that's looking to make a change in their life, what are the, the three easiest things that they could change today that would help move them towards a, a healthier future. So I'll, I'm going to put you on the spot. What are the, cause you just named a couple of them. So I guess it's maybe, maybe a little bit of a lead, but. So like anybody, I think number one, if you're not moving, you have to start moving. Right. And that can start, that can be as simple as like I tell people going on a walk and if you even want to 10 exit here, here's a pro tip for you, right? Let's go, let, let's start to walk in a fasted state in the absence of insulin. And what does that mean? Like I cover this all in the classes that I teach to give people an understanding of this. But when we go to bed at night, we go to sleep. Essentially when we wake up, we're in a fasted state, right? And what does that generally mean? That generally means that our blood sugar levels are low and blood sugar is one of the most important things in the world that you could pay attention to, but it also means our insulin's low. Now, a lot of people don't understand when we actually, how, how do we teach our body to burn fat as a substrate for fuel, right? To oxidize body fat. Well, we do that at low intensities, not at high intensities. So if you wake up in the morning and the absence of insulin, your blood sugar is low and you just go for a walk right away, you're triggering that fat burning mechanism in your body. So right there, there's one huge hack. Um, start moving, right? And it can be as simple as a walk, 30 to 60 minutes. Let's do that three to four times a week. If you can only walk 10 minutes, walk 10 minutes, but you're going to get better at it every time. The second thing, nutrition. Let's think about what we're putting in our mouths. And let's face it, we're not always getting the best advice from um, you know, these different pyramids and things that are put out there by certain governmental agencies that are recommending certain things. We need to understand how food's affecting our body from a hormonal perspective. Um, everything that we eat has a distinct impact on our body, right? Um, and specifically, I like to hone in on blood sugar because we have a huge problem in the law enforcement profession with this phenomenon of insulin resistance, which we can go into a little bit later if we'd like, but it's really driven by the number one causatory issue is, is the food that we're consuming, right? So we need to be cognizant, um, you know, cutting out the, the simple refined sugary carbohydrates, the overindulgence on some of those things um, can be a big, a big game changer for a lot of people and upping that water intake, you know, getting rid of some of the sugary beverages, stuff like that, that we can talk through. So we got movement, we got nutrition. And then at the, we sleep has got to be in there, right? You, you can diet hard. You can work out hard. If you're not sleeping, you're, you're simply not going to see the, the impacts or the, the optimization of, of the results that you should be getting from those other two. So the very long winded answer, I tend to give those because my head, I, I've got so much that I want to say, but 
let's start move. Let's start moving. Let's be intentional with with some of the food that we eat, and then let's also uh, let's get some sleep, right? And let's let's make that a priority. Yeah, I love it. And you know, I I think you just nailed it. And this is what um, I think. If you forget everything else from this conversation today, whether you know if if we lost you, uh, if we lost you at CrossFit, um, may, maybe we we can bring you back with this. Um, because I think you, you really put it in a very simple way, move, watch what you eat, make sure you're getting good sleep. So, but, so if we break that down for cops in particular, somebody has to work the night shift, um, and policing is a 24 seven business. And a lot of times the the people that are working our night shifts are our younger officers and you know for a lot of different reasons one they generally don't have seniority um so that's pretty much where they're going to wind up and then secondly it's generally you that's kind of where the action is and that's where you know young energetic officers kind of gravitate towards they want it they want that type of work um but that comes at a cost and if if you have like for like in your agency now, or even when you're an FTO, when you're working on, on the tactical side of things, if you're working a midnight shift or you're working an afternoon shift and your sleep's getting interrupted, what are some of the things that you would recommend to a one of your officers today about what they can do to try to get the best sleep that they can get? Yeah. And I think that we, let's not shy away from the truth on, on all this stuff, right? Working night shift, it's simply a carcinogen, right? It's, it's, it's causatory of, of, of cancer, right? I think I've think I've seen studies where they've talked about things like people who are around paint fumes, there's like some other type of chemical and then shift work, right? So that's kind of the same category that shift work is in because it throws off, you know, everything's driven by that orb in the sky, right? Our circadian rhythms and how that has impacts um, on our body and, and regulate so many of our hormonal responses. But to answer your question, I get this question a lot in my classes. And what I tell people is control what you can control. If you're on your, that night shift and you know that that's not a healthy place to be, well, then we need to be dialed in a little bit more on our stress management, our sleep and our nutrition. Let's control the things that we can control. And then with sleep, let's try to get, get that to be as consistent as possible. So in lieu of, of getting to, to work that nine to five schedule and getting good restful sleep overnight. If you are on that night shift, let's try to, you know, dial in on the things that we control. But then when it comes to sleep, really focus on making a routine of that. Cause I know a lot of us going into our days off for family and things like that. We've all been there and done that. You stay up all night and you try to get back on a normal schedule and then you end up staying up, you know, half the day, the day that you have to go back to work. And it, it's this never ending cycle and I've been there, you've been there, Pat. Um, and I know that it, it severely impacted my health when I look back at some of the changes, um, you know, body composition wise, blood pressure wise, some things that I attribute to, to being on a narcotics team for five years. No, it was because I wasn't sleeping and I was overstressed and I was gaining weight. My blood pressure was changing. All these, all these metabolic changes were happening um, that I think of now for for so many years in our profession, it's just kind of, that's considered part of the job, right? You, you become a cop and you're, you don't sleep much and, and you gain some weight and that it's been accepted. So now that we're, you know, being able to talk about these things and uh, definitely uh, on a frequency, like we've never seen before, officer wellness is everywhere. Let's be real honest about it. Shift work isn't healthy. Um, it's simply not. 
And then you compile it with the stressors that we go through, our poor diets, our lack of movement. You can't have, you can't have all four go in the wrong direction. So control the three that you can. Let's get some stress management. And I tell people the number one stabilizer of emotional health is physical activity. So you need to be walking. You need to be moving. You need to be doing some resistance training. You have to prioritize that. Um, and it's going to do wonders for, for so many other, you know, metabolic functions and hormonal responses in the body. So long-winded answer again, but, um, you know, that, that's, that's where I would, would, would hedge my, my focus. Yeah. Control what you can. And you've said that a few times. And while you may not have any control over the fact that you're working the night shift, you can't allow yourself to use that as an excuse not to take the steps that you can take that can help mitigate these things. And uh, sleep deprivation is a carcinogen. Shift work is in Europe, shift work is designated as a carcinogen. So if you are a shift worker, um, there are compensations that that you get from government in or in exchange for knowing that you're you're putting your health at risk by working those shifts. And you know, sadly, in the United States, we don't uh, we don't have that same protection across the board that others do. And you know, this is kind of like one of those interesting juxtapositions about policing in the U.S. Um, you know, thirty seven states. Um, uh, at, you know, have presumptive, they have what they, they're called presumptive benefit states in, in that, in that presumptive benefit, uh, statutory protection, it means for public safety employees. And I'll speak to Nevada in particular, because this is where I learned this information years ago. Uh, they were one of the first states in the U S to pass these types of protections, California, you know, and, and, you know, we tend to think of these as kind of very left-leaning, very anti-law enforcement, you know, particularly California uh, environments, but some of the best protections for police officers and some of the most progressive uh, training and educational things that we, that, that we do in policing come from these areas. Uh, the presumptive benefit being if you're on the job for law in law enforcement, public safety for five years or more, if you suffer a heart attack, whether you're on duty or off duty, you are provided with occupational care protection. Uh, so because we know your job is dangerous, your job is going to put your health at risk. So we're, we're going to compensate you for taking that risk by um, having your municipality, your organization uh, support you in, in those costs associated with, with a heart attack off duty, not just on duty. And we, we know that cardiovascular disease is is by far, nothing even comes close to it, the number one killer of cops. So if we know that shift work is a carcinogen and lack of sleep is the number one detriment to our health, um, it behooves us, if our organization isn't going to help us, then really as individuals, we have to take ownership of that and 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 find ways to try to educate ourselves on what I can do uh, to be better. So it's awesome that you now as a leader inside of a police organization where you have the opportunity to influence the culture of your agency, you can bring these things to your people and say, hey, look, here are the things that we know that we can do. Here are some things that we can put in front of you to, to actually make it better. But all right, let's talk. I, I do want to dive into insulin resistance a little bit. 
because I know a lot of people listening to this are probably like, what is that? What does that even mean? What does it mean to be insulin resistant? So you want to, you want to take a crack at uh, educating our, 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 our audience about what is insulin resistance and why should cops care about it? Well, yeah. Well, first off, the reason we should care about it is 70% of our profession over the age of 40 is insulin resistant. And very few of us recognize that. Um, and unfortunately, the percentage is going up and the age is going down. So when you look at insulin resistance then, and we'll talk a little bit more about it and the causatory issues that has um, from, a, from a health perspective, there's so many impacts on metabolic health and overall things like heart health, right, that you just alluded to. So cops, you know, we have these poor cardiovascular profiles. We know about cardiovascular disease. Well, once you're insulin resistant, your chance of having a heart attack goes up 60%. And 70% of our profession is insulin resistant, right? So this is a very profession specific issue. So insulin resistance in, in the in the short term is simply the body's inability uh, to properly process um, specifically carbohydrates, right? Uh, everything we eat is one of three things. It's a protein, it's a carb, or it's a fat. And there's several different things that we can do to kind of break these down. But when we look at these protein, carbs, and fats, um, as it relates to insulin resistance, what we're wanting to know is when we eat food, our blood sugar goes up, right? And that's what's supposed to happen. When we eat food, our blood sugar goes up and our body uses that glucose um, as energy, right? When the body's functioning metabolically, um, when, when we're healthy, the body's taking that food, that energy, it's turning it into glucose. And then our body's able to use that glucose for all types of functions, right? For anything from me sitting here doing this podcast to when I get up, I'm going to, I'm going to put on a weighted vest and go for a long walk today, right? My body's going to burn uh, the fuel in which I've given it, um, you know, throughout the day. The problem is specifically with carbohydrates, um, there's a, a big difference, right? In the quality of carbohydrates and how it affects us on a metabolic uh, perspective. So let's, let's do this for an example. I'm going to give you 200 calories of broccoli, or I'll give you 200 calories of a Krispy Kreme donut, which is basically highly processed, refined, sugary carbohydrates, right? So these, both of these things are carbohydrates primarily, which one intuitively do you think is better for you, right? It's the broccoli, right? And, and the way that we're looking at that is when I eat that broccoli, it's a very low glycemic carbohydrate. So what that means is when I eat that broccoli, my blood sugar stays pretty consistent. There's not a big change, not a big range. So my body doesn't have to have um, a huge um, insulin response to that. And I'll explain what that is in a second. Now let's take that Krispy Kreme donut. It's a really high glycemic carbohydrate, which means when I eat that food, my blood sugar spikes up really, really quick. Well, what my body sees is that big change in blood sugar, and that signals my pancreas to release what we call insulin into the body. It's a hormone that essentially helps keep our blood sugar in check. Because if we didn't have insulin, every time we ate, we go into a diabetic coma, right? So insulin isn't a bad thing. Um, it's just how much is, is being put into the system is directly correlated with the types of food that we're eating. So when we look at carbohydrates, um, we need to start looking at, at the quality, right? It's not that carbs are bad, but let's start looking at the quality. Um, now a quick kind of uh, summary on, on, on protein. Uh, protein is that second macronutrient. So those are our three macronutrients, carbohydrates, proteins, and fat. Um, when we look at protein, um, protein has a very mild insulin response. What does that mean? Take that boneless, skinless chicken breast. That's probably the best example I can give you of uh, a piece of protein. When I eat that, my blood sugar stays 
pretty pretty consistent, right? It, it doesn't spike up high. Um, it keeps my blood sugar pretty consistent. So my body doesn't have to release a lot of insulin either, right? So protein has a very mild insulin response. And then fat, the third category on the macronutrient side, has zero effect on blood sugar and insulin. So for a lot of cops, this isn't an absolute, but what I see with a lot of folks that are trending uh, toward this insulin resistant, which is essentially... Um, our body, we're eating way too many highly refined and processed sugary carbohydrates. So essentially we've got too much glucose in the system, right? So the body's dumping a lot of insulin into the system, trying to clear that glucose because if our blood sugar stays high too long, that can cause a lot of metabolic and, and disease states in the body. So high blood sugar is a bad thing, right? So we don't want a bunch of insulin around. So for a lot of cops, um, what I see, a lot of first responders in general, um, we, we trend towards being insulin resistant for, for a whole whole host of reasons, but, um, for a lot of us, it's about, you know, cleaning up our diets, um, you know, getting a little more good fat in the diet, being a little bit more cognizant on the quality of carbohydrates that we're eating, and then also eating, uh, sufficient amounts of protein to maintain an increase lean, lean body mass, um, and prioritizing sleep, right? Cause when we don't sleep, that also lends to some metabolic dysfunction in the body that literally one night of not sleeping, can elevate your blood sugar um, for the next 48 hours. So there's a lot to unpack there and I'm not going to do it justice in 10, <laughs> min in 10 minutes, but that's really the, the basis of my classes that we spend, you know, the classes that I teach, it's an eight hour day that I educate everybody on blood sugar, insulin, hormones, blood markers, triglycerides, HDLs, LDLs, cholesterol, what, you know, the truth about cholesterol, um, you know, uh, and, and what that really has to do with heart health, if anything. Um, and, and then we kind of really dig through those things and then, and work out a plan for everybody so that they, they have, they can kind of see where they're at. And then they, they've got the resources and the education now to kind of make some changes moving forward. So really long answer. Um, but insulin resistance, 100% is very profession specific. And I can prove that in the data, 70% of our profession um, insulin resistant and, and not many of us have ever even heard that term. The last thing I'll say, every time I teach a class, I start off that section by, Hey, give me a show of hands in the class. Can anybody tell me at a 30,000 foot level, what insulin resistance is, or have you even heard of it? I've, I've spoken in front of groups, a hundred cops, 200 cops, all the way down to smaller departments of 10. I've never had more than three cops ever raise their hand and say that they've either heard of it or could explain it. Yet 70% of our profession is affected by this. We've got a problem. Right. And, and that's that's what we need to be educating people on is empowering them to become the best advocates for their own health through through, you know, resources that, that we can provide and education. And and that's really what I've been trying to do, not only as a chief, but, um, you know, in a lot of the consulting that I'm doing with other departments. Well, this is fantastic. And you're right. We're not going to cover it. But what we are what we are going to cover is the. I think the foundation for change and the, the last 10 minutes of you talking are the foundation for change. Yep. And that's, you know, the problem is it's not that we don't care in policing. We know that we are an unhealthy population. The problem really is, is that we don't know what to do about it. And we look for tools and sometimes to help us because we are a tool oriented profession, right? We, we like, we like our guns. We like our tasers. We like the cars that we're driving. We like the technology that we're using. All of these things are critically important, but nothing. That's why I say this all the time. Nothing 
is more important in your squad car than the six inches between your ears, right? That like, that is the most important thing that we can work on because everything else flows from there. Why is insulin resistant at the, at the insulin resistance at the center of all this? Well, have you ever had brain fog? Are you, do you feel tired? Do you feel sluggish? Well, there's a, if you do, there's a very good possibility that your blood sugar is just way too high. It could be, could be too low as well, but it's, it's not where you need it to be. And for all of the things that you just talked about. So generally, and you know, some of the problem is too, is that the, the mainstream medical community doesn't necessarily understand the, the unique challenges that a law enforcement professional is under. So you can't treat a cop the same way that you would treat, you know, someone that's working in an office nine to five. I think there's a lot of commonalities there, but I think it w- it's it's always helpful if you have people that can give you uh, specific instruction, education on what particularly you can do as a police officer to help reduce and mitigate some of these risks because you're not going to eliminate them. So how do you mitigate it? Well, and, Uh, and to that point, you know, a lot of us, you know, we spend our days are full of, uh, you know, switching from parasympathetic to sympathetic nervous state based on the calls that we're going on. Right. So we see a lot of folks and I'll make this quick, but we respond to a call, right? Shots fired, arm robbery, whatever that call is, it kind of gets, gets people's heart going and or an officer needs assistance right away. The stress hormone that we have, that's been given a bad rap cortisol. It's not all bad. It's just bad when it's chronically elevated. Every time we're going to a call like this, we have a dump of cortisol um, that also flips us into what we call the sympathetic nervous state, right? We're parasympathetic. The body feels good. There's no harm. There's nothing to worry about. Sympathetic nervous state is that hypervigilance that you've probably heard Dr. Kevin Gilmartin talk about and, and all these things. Well, the interesting thing about cortisol is that that's our days, right? This up and down of cortisol coming back down, cortisol coming back down. Well, when cortisol is elevated, guess what else is? Glucose right? When glucose in the body's elevated, guess what else is elevated? Insulin, right? You talk to any anti-aging longevity doctor, they'll tell you one of the keys to longevity, reduce the amount of circulating insulin in the body. Also, if you have chronically high levels of insulin, when insulin is high, it literally puts body fat in a jail cell. You cannot burn body fat when you have elevated levels of insulin. So you may have these cops out here that, that are eating well, they're working out, they're doing everything except managing the stress because they don't understand that and they're not seeing the results that they want, right? Because they're not sleeping. So they're stressed. Um, just the dynamics of the job are keeping them overstressed and they can't understand why, why they don't feel good, right? Why, why they have no energy. I'm working out. Uh, I'm, I'm eating well. I'm doing these things. But it's some of these things that are very profession specific that if you don't understand hypervigilance and the hypervigilance roller coaster, how that relates to cortisol and glucose and insulin. Um, you know, that's really something that this is the things that we need to be teaching at the Academy and we need to be following up with as a mutual friend of ours, you know, Dr. James Greenwald and the police panels and these things need to be implemented from day one. They need to be tracked throughout the career uh, so that we're taking people into retirement. Cause I can tell you, I've never met one cop that doesn't want to be healthy in retirement. I mean, never one that I've met that says, Hey, you know, I I just don't want to be healthy. Leave me alone. That's not it. Um, you know, it's, it's that education component and it's kind of just, I think re, I don't know, re reprioritizing what we're doing in this profession. Um, we're so outward facing, we're taking care of the, 
the community and, and the things that we we have to do that we've sworn an oath to do. I think for a long time we've neglected our own um, health and well-being, and and now we're starting to see that that directly translates to the to the quality of service that we can provide. You have good, healthy cops. They're they go out on the street and they do an even better job. So. Amen. And that, that brings us back to performance. <laughs> so, so as an agency head, you, you have a, uh, you, there, there's probably some, there's personal reasons why you want your officers to be healthy, but there's also very professional reasons why having a culture where health and wellness and fitness is prioritized because that's just going to provide better service to the community. I mean, it's as simple as that. And you know, you, you mentioned, uh, Dr. Gilmartin, in you know, last year, and I've, I've been fortunate to present with him a few times, in last year, we were at the National FOP Conference, and there's 500 people in this room, and he asked this question, and I, I just love it, because he's like, how many people here have been trained on how to use their firearm, right? You know, of course, every hand in the room goes up. How many people have been trained on defensive driving techniques and EVOC training? Everyone's hands go up. And then he says... How many people here have been trained on how to prevent a heart attack? Yeah, and now no hands go up. And, and so, it, you know, again, when you think about the things that kill police officers and, uh, you know, assault, ambush, those things are all, we have to train for those things. Of course we do. Um, defensive driving, you know, how, how, you know, how, to, uh, how to do that as safe as possible. You know, there, there are risks that you are going to take in this job and we have to do things to mitigate it. But the number one killer, again, I'll come back to cardiovascular disease and we're not doing anything right from the academy level. I, I think we're starting to see some things now finally, but um, you know, we, we joked about this when we got on our call a few weeks ago, right? It's like, you know, we're, we're talking about things in 2023 that we knew were a problem in the mid nineties um, and nothing really has changed. And, and the only thing that's going to to generate change is for people to take it seriously. And then progressive leaders like you that are going to say, look, we're going to make this a priority for our people. And, you know, quite frankly, sometimes, you know, officers may they may not appreciate it and they may not want it. They may feel like this is an intrusion into my personal space. Like, hey, chief, you know, I don't want you telling me you know, what to eat and how to live my life and when I should sleep. And, you know, that's, it, it's a kind of a bit of an exaggeration, but generally it's because, you know, when I've felt that kind of resistance, um, I knew I was probably moving in the right direction. Like, Hey, this is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with what he's trying to tell me, but that, that generally was a good indicator that maybe we're starting to do some, some things the right way. Resting blood sugar above 100 deciliters per liter is between 100 and 120 is generally considered insulin resistance. Like, so when, when you know, so how, how, and you mentioned this also. So how does an officer know if they're insulin resistant or not? And there's only one way and you got to get tested. Um, you got to get your blood work done. And uh, Doc Greenwald, you know, in his group, uh, they've just been doing fantastic work with the police panel. And, you know, he is just, you know, Greeny's just got this network of people that he is, you know, he's a super connector where he just reaches out and gets all these people engaged and involved. And, um, you know, some of the work that I've done with him and, and one of his associates, Dr. Cromwell over the years. And if you're, if you're listening to this podcast and you're, and you're 
okay, insulin resistance, this is important. Um, what's step one? What would what would be your first recommendation for somebody that uh, I want to I want to provide my officers the opportunity to understand if they're insulin resistant or not? So I, I just want to make sure I understand the question and. I'll I'll say that every class that I go to, I I ramble a bit, you know, as you mentioned. No, no, no. Every class that I teach, um, I I partner with with uh, specialty health and, and Dr. Greenwald, and I provide those those police panels as an option for people so they can get that immediate biofeedback after having been educated on what those numbers and, and blood markers actually are. So I would say the easiest one for folks, if that's what you're asking, is you know, get that get that preventative exam number one, get that comprehensive blood panel. And if you want to do an easy one here, I'll give you two easy hacks. Get that free preventative exam that we should all be getting. Take your triglycerides and divide them by your HDL. So that's called your triglyceride to HDL ratio. If that number is 3.5 or higher as a male, you got a problem, right? You're already in the red zone. 2.5 or higher as a female, you're already in the red zone, right? So my triglycerides are 80, my HDL is 40. Divide 80 by 40, you're going to get that ratio. If that's high, uh-oh, we better do something, right? That's the that's the old Gordon Graham train whistle thing coming, right? You can hear the, <laughs> you can hear the train coming. So uh-huh. that's the first one. The second one, I tell cops, hey, if you don't want to go to the doctor, or maybe you're an anti-doctor guy, okay, take your flex card, run down to Walgreens, get you a glucometer and some strips. Go to bed tonight, wake up before you eat anything, drink anything, prick your finger. If that's over 100 milligrams per deciliter, that that blood sugar level. You got a problem, right? Well, you don't want to be in a fasted state having that blood sugar, you know, creeping over a hundred. So those are some easy things um, that you can simply do that are going to kind of tell you really quickly where you're at. And if those numbers are not in the optimal range, I can tell you, we can change them very quickly with some easy nutrition and movement protocols and prioritizing some sleep, Um, you know, and, and it doesn't have to be hard. This doesn't have to be something that, you know, all of a sudden, Oh man, I can't go out and have, you know, you know, some chicken wings and, and, and a couple of beers with my buddies on Saturday. Cause no, that's not it. Right. That's not what this is about. This is about, I tell people, I try to push people towards that 80, 20 rule, right? Let's, let's dial in 80% of the time. And then if, you know, if, if you enjoy going out and having chicken wings with, with, you know, your buddies and a couple of beers on the weekends, so be it. Right. Or you want to go out and have a piece of cheesecake and, and some whatever, right? You got to do what keeps you happy, and no diet or lifestyle should be so restrictive that that it's it becomes you know a, a sore spot or you know a displeasure moment uh, throughout your day of of the adhering to these protocols. But we also got to be able to look at our blood markers and go, what is this equating to as we look at at health span and longevity? Right? That's what I talk to people about. Longevity is I live to ninety, but I'm sick from seventy to ninety. I don't want that. Let's look at health span, right? Let's look at that. We want longevity and health span to track as closely to po- as possible to where, you know, at the end, and we'll all get there at some point, um, you know, what we can stay as healthy and, and as vital, you know, our vitality is there and we can, we can move um, and, and have all of our faculties with us as long as possible so that we can cash more pension checks. That's what I tell cops, right? That's what this is about, right? You want to your goal should be to bankrupt the pension fund because you live so freaking long. So let, let's have that in mind with some of these things that we're doing that, um, you know, we, the, the little steps that we take today, that adherence to some of these principles that, uh, that we like to teach, um, you know, it really is focused on, on giving you that, that time in retirement to, to be healthy and have health span and longevity track together. So 
the the simplest way is get and and, and when you say free scan, generally most most healthcare uh, providers will have a a no cost preventative health screening annually available to uh, all their members. So generally, yeah, that, yeah, that's what I was referring to. Yeah. So just go get it done. Get, get, get that blood test done. Now, what it's not going to do is it's not going to give you the seven lines of data that a police panel is going, is going to provide you, but it is going to give you at least something and look at your health in the same way. I, this, I, I think it can be constructive to tell police officers this, like if it, it's interesting, I think at times where we are when when it comes to our professionalism, we're very engaged in in studying policy. We're engaged in studying, you know, updates to Supreme Court rulings. We're we're studying our state statutes. We're learning the rules of the game and and how we operate in that space so we can be good at our jobs. And where where sometimes where we fall down is that when it comes to our personal health we don't do the same thing. We don't make the same investment. And we just assume that somebody else has our best interest at heart and they're going to do it for us. And I think we should all know at this point, like nobody is going to care as much about your health as you can care and you should care about your personal health. So you have to have a little bit of skin in the game yourself. You have to invest in uh, taking those steps to understand what these things are. Um, so don't be afraid to to find some resources where you can start to educate yourself on this. And I know Doc Greenwald, he's got a, and we'll have to put that in the show notes, but he's got a great document for um, a nutrition plan for the insulin resistant officer. So you get your blood test back, you find out, Hey, I'm insulin resistant. Well, here's, here's a nutrition program for you that can help specifically with turning, uh, turning your IR around. Uh, oh, and by the way, that's probably going to turn a lot of other things around for you as well. Um, what do you have any do you have any like go to uh, references for reading materials or books or websites or anything like that that you would recommend in your program? Yeah, you know, there's so many of them um, now so so readily available. But, you know, you mentioned Doc Greenwald. And like you said, if if you want, you could even put this in, in the show notes if that's a a, a possibility or whatever. But He's got, I've got links to the police panel um, that'll take them right through kind of my site to to where they can get that stuff done. And then I've also got a Google Drive folder that I keep, um, that I, I give to everybody that comes through my classes that has an abundance of resources, some free books, things like, I think you're referring to the low carb for law enforcement document um, yep. that, that Dr. Greenwell, I think Amy, it was Amy, Amy Berger, Berger, yeah. Amy yeah. Berger had, had done. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of that stuff, and, and that's the good news folks, like 70% of the professions affected by this, but it's 100% reversible. Right. And, and the earlier that we recognize it, um, just some small tweaks can really drive things back in the right direction. So uh, it's imperative that, that you know your numbers, right? Let, let, let's, let's know our numbers and then let's work to put a plan of, uh, of action together to, to start addressing them. And, and there's so much, good information out there. And like you said, Greeny's been uh, really leading the charge on this uh, for, for such a long time. You know, like you said, we've known this information for a long time and it's it's been a struggle to bring it to the forefront of the profession. But I think that's what we're both trying to do now. Yeah. Jim Collins calls it the flywheel, right? You know, you got to get the flywheel moving and we have to generate that momentum 
as a profession. And I think once we get the momentum going, then then it can be self-sustaining. But I want to give a quick story to reinforce what you're talking about, that this doesn't have to be as complicated, I think, as sometimes people make it. And um, years ago, when when I we were rolling out doing some of this testing in our agency, um, there was one officer in particular that that had the testing done. He identified some um, some genetic traits that he was unaware of um, that were you know that were critically important for him to know and then also for his family to know. But all he did, he, his first change that he made was just waking up 30 minutes earlier every day. He told myself, I'm going to wake up 30 minutes earlier. I'm going to go for a walk. And that's what he did. He just woke up. And the first thing he did in the morning is he went for a 30 minute walk, didn't run, wasn't lifting weights, wasn't doing anything else, just walked. And within 30 days, he had lost a significant amount of weight, started to feel better and there, that creates some momentum. So the next step was, is uh, he'd been walking through the CrossFit gym in our training center. Well, maybe I'll stop and and I'll do a, do a short workout as well at the end of the day. And then his results start to accelerate. And within, within six months of him just making that one simple change, he was able to get back to the same weight that he graduated high school at. Um, within six months with you know, and that's not crushing himself. It's not torturing himself, not suffering. So, you know, for people that think that's uh, not doable, you, you know, you can find inspiration in stories like that, that it is doable. And and now the, his quality of life, not, not only is his short-term risk sig- significantly reduced, but his long-term risk is, is reduced as well. If he can, you know, if he can sustain that over time and, and that's where doing you know, things like the 80-20 rule, the 90-10 rule, um, you know, it's 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 important for people to know that it's doable and it's not as hard as as one might think it would be. And you don't have to give up all the things that that you really like. If you eat chicken wings every night, you know, you're, you've got bigger problems, but uh, you know, just understand that, you know, it's it's. Uh, you know, if if your goal is to be healthy and and to live a long life and to be able to enjoy your pension and spend some time with your grandchildren, you know, not in a wheelchair sitting, you know, outside the little league ball fence watching them, but actually, you know, playing catch with them and being able to interact and get down on the floor with them and get up off the floor and do those things that are important in life, then, you know, the best day to start was yesterday. The next best time to start is today. Um, don't wait till tomorrow. No, very well put, you know, and one of the other last kind of easy things I always like to throw in, I talk about a lot is, uh, things like sauna, right? Something, something like that, that, I mean, there's studies showing now that just getting in a sauna, oh, you know, 140 degrees plus for 15 minutes a day, three to four days a week, literally cuts your chances of dying in half. Um, so, you get somebody walking 30 minutes a day. Hey, let's start drinking a little bit of water and then let's just go sit in a hot room for 15 minutes. Like just about anybody can do that. And that will change your life quicker than, you know, a lot of things. And then you start, like you said, you build that momentum and then we get you doing a little bit of, doesn't have to be CrossFit, but let's start doing some body weight things that we're now we're starting to, to apply that stimulus on the body of some resistance training. What we need to remember resistance training builds muscle. 
right? Lean muscle mass. That's what protects us as we age. And more importantly, it's our body's number one glucose disposal system. So when we talk about insulin resistance and high blood glucose levels, the number one way to burn that stuff up and, and be an effective user of glucose is to have lean muscle mass. And, and it will um, be the number one way to recover from injury um, and sickness. Um, having a strong body um, is imperative as, as we age. So don't, don't negate resistance training, find a good coach, find somebody that can, can walk you through things and meet you where you're at. And you'll, you, you'll, you won't believe the results that you can achieve in a short amount of time. Yeah. And I don't even want to get on my soapbox about, you know, why all, why there's so many professional reasons that you should, that you should really engage in this type of activity. I think, you know, yeah, probably, we haven't gone into those. Yeah. I know. And, and, uh, you know, you got to start somewhere and, um, you know, there are there are critics from the outside that look into policing. And and of course, it, you know, who, you know, everybody wants to make the fat guy and the donut joke, the fat cop donut jokes. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm down for a good joke every now and then I can laugh at myself. Um, but I do I do often, you know, take the opportunity when people kind of make those observations in jest. Um, I, I try to talk to him about some of these things. Hey, you ever wonder why cops eat donuts? You know, why maybe you see them in a donut shop and then talk about their elevated cortisol levels, which is driving, you know, this hormonal roller coaster and they just need some energy. And so, you know, where do you get energy? You get it from sugar and, and the brain doesn't, you know, it doesn't care where it's getting it. It, it sees, if it sees candy laying around, it's going to eat it. <laughs> right. Yep. So uh, if you're driving by a donut shop, and that's where I can get caffeine and sugar. I'm, I'm on my way in. So I, I think there are there are opportunities there to educate the public on why police officers are tend to be overweight. Um, and it's also, I think, critically important to use these opportunities to educate them on why we need to invest in policing, why why defunding the police is the absolute wrong thing to do for so many different reasons. But if we can start investing in police departments and police officers themselves and their health, then, then we're going to get better outcomes. Um, you know, people make better decisions when they're, when they're optimized, not when they're tired and overstressed and overworked. And uh, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons uh, to, to invest in, in police officers and their health. All right. We've been going for a while and uh, I knew this was going to go fast. There's so many things I haven't even touched on yet, but um, you, you know, you've mentioned you, you're, you have a training company outside of what you're doing uh, with your agency. Uh, where, where can people reach you and what's, what's the name of the training that you provide? So my consulting company is, is called first responder health and wellness LLC. Um, I, I stay extremely busy um, with that. Uh, I don't do any, any social media. I do no websites. I do no marketing. Everything that I've done is just strictly word of mouth. So people can reach out to me um, if they're interested in more information at uh, firstresponderhw at gmail.com, or they could, you know, call, send me a text. Um, I can make that number available too. It's 309-838-5657. And that's usually how I connect with people uh, that may be interested in training or, or bringing my program in. And I can tell you, what I'll say about that is I've worked with departments as large as the California Highway Patrol, all the way down to ten man a ten man sheriff's department in Wisconsin. And what I tell folks is the patches change, but the problems stay the same. And I've seen that everywhere that I go. That a lot of these things that we're talking about from a health perspective, 
it doesn't matter if your agency is 16,000 or 10. Um, a lot of these commonalities exist uh, no matter where you're at. Um, they're very profession specific. And, and that's really, um, that's what makes this content easy to teach because it's applicable to anybody that puts on the uniform and that that's police fire that that's military. I've been in front of all those groups and there's so many commonalities, um, that we share, um, you know, and it's, that, that's what I take joy out of is getting the emails that, Hey chief, enjoyed the class, you know, I'm down 40 pounds or, you know, I've, I've driven my glucose down to here or, Hey, I've been influential. Now my department has a wellness program, you know, so there's so many different things that I know you were heavily involved with these types of things as well, Pat. And that that's really, that's really where my satisfaction comes at the end of the day that I want to leave, I want to leave the profession better than I found it. Um, I've experienced the ups and downs myself. And I know that uh, even though you're down, uh, you, you can come back up. So it's a lot of peaks and valleys throughout this career, but don't sit back and let your health be one of those valleys that you don't come out of because it's, uh, you deserve a retirement. You deserve a healthy retirement. And, and that's really what, what I wish for everybody. Well, I appreciate you spending some of your time to share this. Um, you know, there's a couple, I got a couple more quick questions and then we'll, then we'll close it out. And I think matter of fact, it might've actually, now that I think about this, this quote, it might've been John Wellborn, uh, is where I heard this first, but it's, it's, you know, when you were talking about why it's important to, uh, you know, work the, uh, the anaerobic as much as the aerobic building lean muscle mass, because it is, that is how you protect, uh, your longevity. Um, you know, we didn't even get into talking about, uh, dementia or Alzheimer's disease, you know, which is commonly referred to as type three diabetes, but, you know, lean muscle mass is one of the best ways that you can prevent, prevent those things from happening. But if for no other reason, right working out, eat well, have a good fitness plan is because strong people by their very nature are just harder to kill. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. So just be hard to kill, man. I mean, yeah. we can all get onto that, whether we want to have a, an argument about whether we're warriors or guardians, you know, it's like, uh, yeah. How about we, uh, how about we be warriors with a guardian's mindset? Uh, well, that's know, kind of, get... I said that today. I spoke at a, the opening of a, our state SRO conference, and I ended it with this. It's a training conference. I said, uh, you know, continue to always have the warrior mindset, but a servant's heart, right? Because we all we all need to be warriors when the time is right, right? But outside of that, let your servant's heart do um, do the good, do the goodwill in the community, but never forget that uh, that warrior could be called on at any time. Yeah. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to have to take a quick tangent here too, because uh, there was another discussion I saw on social media and it had to do. Uh, it's funny, the things that we get fixated on. And, you know, sometimes I, I, I weigh, I weigh myself, I weigh into these. And then sometimes I, you know, it's just like, all right, take your own advice. Uh, stay out of it. Just watch, <laughs> watch from the sidelines. But uh, you know, it's like this whole Punisher thing and, uh, you know, people and I, I don't care one way or the other, um, you know, people were having this argument on social media about whether police officers should, you know, have Punisher tattoos or wear Punisher T-shirts and things like that. And, you know, my personal thoughts are it's like, look, if that's going to motivate you to go out and train, um, then by all means, you know, well, I don't care what you wear in your T-shirt or what kind of tattoo you get you know, find the motivation that's going to help you. But as long as it's action oriented, right? And I think where people sometimes 
it, it's this warrior guardian types of arguments where people like, well, what, maybe I, I see the officer that is a hundred pounds overweight that doesn't train, you know, that's, that's got the death from above t-shirt on, you know, whatever it might be uh, that can create some mixed messages out in the public. Um, so I don't even know why I got on that tangent. I'm just going to say work hard, you know, it, you know, yeah. do something, work hard, you know, set a good example, not, you know, be an example for your agency, your organization, and um, everything else will work itself out. Yeah. Modeling, modeling good behavior. It's amazing. The, the profound, you don't have to, you don't have to tell anybody to do anything at that point. When you, when you model the behaviors that you want to see, they tend to just happen. So. All right. Last question. Uh, if you had one book to recommend, I kind of already maybe teased this out a little bit, but what would be what would be a book that you would recommend for someone if they're if they're just starting to figure out okay I want to get in shape or I want to understand more about nutrition or fitness or wellness what might be one book you would recommend or two or three if you have to give three oh well the one that I oh, that I give everybody free uh, to the PDF version of that uh, when they when they go through my class um, if, have you ever heard of Dr Brett Osborne. He's a level one trauma surgeon, um, St. Mary's Hospital in Jupiter, Florida. He wrote a book called Get Serious. And Dr. Osborne, I've been a member of some of his groups for a long time. Um, he actually kind of helped me with my department's wellness program when I was getting it up and going, sent us a lot of free books. I had a phone call with him a couple times and, and just a great guy who really, I enjoy his no nonsense, no BS approach to, to fitness and wellness. He doesn't sugarcoat anything, but the book get serious. The reason I like it, it's, it's written in layman's terms, number one. And number two, it includes everything from discussions on blood markers, uh, tests that you should insist on from your doctor, supplements, a sample linear progression, progressive overload style uh, workout program. It's just a great uh, book for people to refer to and it's PDF searchable. So what I tell people in my class is like, hey, if I talk about something like the triglyceride to HDL ratio, or we talk about the benefits of magnesium or omega-3s as we talk about supplements, um, you can go to this book and you can search that. And it's going to take you right to that section of the book and you can do some more research. So that's always one of my favorite ones to recommend. It's it's a, a cheap book, but I, I actually give it to people free. Um that's a great one. Um, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm real, I'm a big podcast guy, you know, kind of like you, when, when you were in the chief's role, my days are busy, right? I'm, I'm doing consulting. I, I teach for a couple other, uh, companies as well. I, I, this, uh, I'm involved in a lot of stuff just like everybody else and I enjoy it, but I learn more on the go. So a lot of my favorite podcasts, uh, the model health show, Sean Stevenson, one of my faves, top uh, health and wellness podcasts in the world. Uh, Dr. Mark Hyman, uh, Director of Functional Medicine for the Cleveland Clinic, has a podcast called The Doctor's Pharmacy with an F, F-A-R-M-A-C-Y. Um, those are a couple of my favorites, um, you know, love, love Joe Rogan, things like that. So um, I'm always trying to educate myself and, and reading, you know, reading books by uh, just about anybody I can get my hands on. Dr. Peter Atia is another one. I could keep going for, uh, for hours on podcasts and stuff, but uh, lots of good information is just so accessible out there. I don't know if you've messed around with any of the chat GPT stuff or any of that, but that will blow your mind yeah. when you get it, when you get into what some of this stuff, um, you know, just creating workout programs and eating programs. I, I was messing around with this the other night, uh, just kind of playing with it. Wow. 
in a matter of seconds, you type in what it is you're looking for. And it's kind of amazing. Uh, the, the, the access to information, what I'm getting at is so readily available. Um, it's almost too much. <laughs> That's why we got to get back to the basics, right? Let's, let's start walking <laughs> and drinking some water and let's start out basic and then let, let's get a little bit more advanced. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, the cha- the Chappie GPT, I was like, um, I've actually been, I've been tinkering with it for a while. I've, I've experimented with a few things. What I'm really curious, that might be a, a conversation for a, we might have to do a different topic for that show. And I, I'm really curious to see how that technology is going to impact policing and w- where that's going to work its way into the everyday activity of the officer in the squad car. And, and I think some of the long-term ramifications, you know, there are big changes coming that are, you know, if you, if you're, you know, if you're kind of a half full type of person, the glass is half full, then there's a lot of excitement in what, what this technology is going to bring. If you're, you know, half empty, there's probably a lot of fear of what this might bring, but those are awesome recommendations, by the way. I have not read Get Serious, so that is going to be on my list. Um, Sean Stevenson, you know, he wrote a great book on sleep, and uh, uh, that that I would I would credit his book for helping uh, save uh, save one of our officers who was in the in the recruit program that was actually thinking about sleeping. You know, and it, I've told this story before, and just real quick, why why I think this stuff is so important, especially for police leaders. Um, you know, a very, very high promise uh, officer had a ton of potential and, you know, kind of hit me out of the blue one day when, when my commanders came up and told me that they didn't think he was going to make it, that he thought he was going to resign and uh, that, you know, kind of the pressure was going to get to him. And in, in a, you know, the short version of the story is, you know, I sat down with him and talked with him and I could just tell like he was tired, you know, he was, you know, this was um, you know, a different way of life. And he was kind of beat up and tired. And I was just basically like, I gave him, I gave him a copy of Sean Stevenson's book and told him that, you know, he had a long weekend coming up, basically said, just go sleep and don't do anything else. Don't worry about work or anything else. Let's just get you, let's get your sleep right and see how that impacts you. I don't want you to make any decisions while you're tired and you're fatigued like this. And, you know, now he's, you know, he's been on the the agency for over five years and thriving and he's, he's doing a great job. So, uh, you know, sometimes performance deficiencies are just nutritional sleep and exercise deficiencies disguised. hundred uh, percent. Yeah. And Sean's book sleep smarter. And he's also got a book eat smarter. Um, I've got both of them phenomenal resources for folks. And I would also recommend Dr. Kirk Parsley as well. He's a Navy SEAL uh, sleep doctor. He's got some great info out there if you're having problems with sleep. Amen. Yeah, well, we're, we could probably keep going. <laughs> uh, we could probably keep going for a while, but we're at 90 minutes. I want to respect your time. And I really want to appreciate, I really appreciate you sharing your time with us and your knowledge. There's so much, there's so much information just that we've shared in the last, uh, in the last hour that, that is actionable that people can do. You've shared your contact information. I'll have you uh, make, when we go off the air here, I'll make sure that we've got it so we can share it in the show notes so people can get in touch with you. But um, great things are coming in our profession. This is an exciting time to be in policing. Uh, don't, don't buy into all the negativity folks. It is, it is tough. And there are things that we need to fight for and make sure that we're taking care of business on, but um, you know, 
Policing is still a great noble profession. It can be managed and it can be managed effectively in a very healthy and productive way, especially when we have leaders like Steve Petrilli. So I appreciate your time, Steve. Absolutely. And I appreciate your time and, and, and attention to these topics and, and look forward to chatting with you again. Right on. All right, everybody. Until next time, we'll be 1042. The Coptimizer podcast is powered by Performance Protocol. Performance Protocol brings professional executive coaching to police officers and administrators at all levels of the organization. Performance Protocol has the blueprint that will operationalize organizational optimization. It is purpose-built for today's public safety employees to help them accomplish goals and live better. What is it? One-on-one video-based coaching with officers and leaders who have been in your shoes and know firsthand what it means to live and work in public safety. The program will connect you with certified coaches who combine their years of success in the world of law enforcement with world-class training from the cobble of performance protocol coaches. Get the support, resources, motivation you need to live the life you want. Performance protocol coaches are relatable, knowledgeable, and confidential. Most importantly, they get results. Why should the keys to unlocking our peak performance be reserved for just the boardroom or the playing field? Unleash your full potential today and get started with Performance Protocol. Remember, performance is the goal. Protocol is the path. Log into www.performance-protocol.com and learn more about how to bring this program to your agency and community.